Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 51 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. She's the CEO of IOTDisruptions.com and a globally recognized entrepreneurial thought leader at the junction of IoT and artificial intelligence. She brings 20 years of digital transformation experience from building organizations, shaping new technology ecosystems, and mentoring leaders at eBay, PayPal, Hardcourt, and GTE. She enjoys building partnerships at the cross-sections of the industry, academia, and emerging entrepreneur ecosystems. She advises corporate and city leaders on regional economic development, using technology with a focus on innovation gaps and social equality. She's the author of the awesome book, 2030, The Driverless World, about the junction of autonomous cars and cognitive IoT. She's the author of three other IoT books, IoT Disruptions, IoT Disruptions 2020, and the Internet of Things Business Primer, and taught the first IoT business course at Stanford Continuing Ed School. She's the producer of the IoT show on YouTube. She's a champion for STEM programs, which stands for Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics, and Girls Who Code, and hosts mentor programs for kids. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome Suda Janti. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited. Yes, me too. Thank you so much for joining. You know, it's so interesting. Last night I was meeting with two, uh, two business owners, and we were talking about our kids going to school and how outdated colleges seem to be, especially with regards to their majors. But apparently the school that you're associated with, so the big event of your professional life is a new Stanford class, the business of self-driving cars, for which, of course, your latest book, 2030, The Driverless World, is the textbook. I mean, that is super amazing, and I was really excited to learn that. So tell me about how you got, how you got the school to actually get with the times. So I've been teaching uh, how to build a successful business with Internet of Things for the past two years at Stanford Continuing Studies. And this is more for professionals, adults out there, entrepreneurs, serial entrepreneurs, or our business people out in the industry wanting to learn the latest in technology to figure out how to apply it to their business. It's more a business course. So I've been teaching the IoT business course. And so it naturally led me to the connected car and uh, I became obsessed with the autonomous vehicle business and wrote this book. And then I went to my continuing studies team and I said, you know, this is a hot topic. Maybe we should do a workshop about it. Mm. And then it kind of evolved into this whole full course. For sure. I mean, all the big players are now very fully focused into this topic of autonomous vehicles. I mean, we've got autonomous trucks, autonomous ships. In, in Dubai, they're doing autonomous taxis, passenger drones. That's, that's right. That's right. And I'm not, I'm not quite there with the flying cars. I'm still talking about, you know, the driving with wheels that's still on the, on the roads. That's the scope of my class. I actually have one student who wants, who's actually working on building a flying car from one of the big brands. And so I had to tell him it's going to be things with wheels for sure. 
<laughs> we'll get rid of the steering wheel, but there's wheels on the, on the, you know, touching the road. But uh, what attracts me is, you know, uh, technology goes through these waves and sometimes it's a hype and it goes away and it comes back many years later, like wearable tech happened many, many years. Even AI has been around for many years and it's a wave. So the autonomous vehicle, the driverless cars, taxis, all the different AI, everything out there looks like a hype. So that attracts me uh, to tell entrepreneurs, where are the gaps? What are the business models? My specialty is to understand what are the business drivers and to help my students figure out what are the business models? How will their industry be impacted and how they can go about creating innovation and a new business opportunity? Nice. And you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the hype, right? So many people are thinking the same things. Oh, Google's inventing this cute car uh, that drives by itself, but is it really going to happen? What is, what is your thoughts on that? So Google has been at this for eight years, like right here where I live in Silicon Valley, Google car drives around. Every day I come back from Stanford, Google car is my neighbor driving quietly on the roads. And we kind of got used to it. We didn't think much about it. I actually have a habit of trying to kind of tailgate it and see, you know, how does it behave? (laughs) And it's fared very well. And it's not just Google internationally, right? There has been pilots, there has been these efforts going on for a long, long time, but not in business mode. The focus has been to build technology, the machine learning, deep learning technology so that the car can drive safely because we have a need. There are too many accidents out in the roads. But recently it has gone to a a stage where it is becoming a business and people are looking at what are the evolving business models. One uh, factor is Tesla came in, Tesla does not take the same Google path and said, hey, I'm going to give you a switch driver, owner of the Tesla, and you can decide when you want to put this in the Mm. autonomous mode. It is not fully autonomous that it can just drive and park itself and do all these wonderful things, but it is autonomous to the extent that it will do lane detection and, and stop at right things in a highway setting. That disrupted the market. That suddenly created a huge business opportunity and everybody else who's been building this technology like Google said, Hey, we can't be left behind because we are ahead of the game in terms of technology. And so that heated up the market. And then there's a whole bunch of entrepreneurs who come in and created amazing mapping technology, different layers of car data, car AI. We can talk a little bit about it if you want. Sure. There's a whole bunch of, you know, a stack of possibilities and that's creating a whole disruption, not just in cars, but mobility as like how are we going to go from one place to another and if you look at it that way then it doesn't matter if it is a car whether the car is driving itself or whether i'm taking a lift or whether i'm going to be you know lifted in a drone you know exactly so now with regards to the business drivers so one of the things that i've noticed in the iot world is that one of the greatest business drivers is data analytics yeah So how does that come to play with regards to autonomous vehicles and how do we allay the fears of people that Big Brother is watching what they do? It's a twofold question. So let me give the Big Brother part (laughs) away because I don't know the answer for it. Data, I mean, I love data. I come from a background where I used to, you know, build products and then, you know, look at data and help grow the business. So I, I headed mobile growth, uh, helping product teams make 
lot more money in in ebay all using data and uh, so i my attraction with iot was that it's not just you can add sensors to our clothing or our body or shoes or house and everything it spews out data and it's not just small volume of data it's a time series of data and you can do whatever you want with it if you just look at it as hey this is interesting now it's telling me how many steps i take that's where you stop or if you actually use that in a in a mind to say hey is this can i do predictive analytics and figure out should we be digging in this place or this other spot so that is how you know data became the power of or the new currency for iot and i started out from the world of calling you know the connected car as yet another iot device <laughs> so i mean For nobody sure. would like to call a car a device but i look at it as you know one other iot in there so the real power of the car yes there is going to be technology it's going to drive itself it's going to drive itself completely autonomously at a later stage and it might get there at different stages of autonomy um but it is going to have data not just car data in terms of what the car is seeing right it's going to see the roads it's going to have road conditions it's going to know a lot of things but it is going to have information about the person the passenger i don't know if we are going to be called passengers in future right we, we lose the driver status but there is going to be information about us all the time so we use the mobile phone and the phone is actually tethered to us all the time and it it's our mobility device i see the autonomous vehicle becoming the new mobility device or new mobility thing that's going to track us so when i get up and go to work i have an intent to go to work when i get up and go shopping i have an intent to go shopping the car is going to take me and the car is going to have that information and it would if you start tracking that information i don't know who this who is who is going to own our data and start tracking but that entity is going to know my behavior what time of the day do i go shopping what time of the day do i go to work and what is work who do i go meet with uh what kind of places do i go and and if now this gets connected so for example if i go to a specific if my car can know that i am going to go to target and and if that information can be shared with target there's a whole new business model that can evolve because now target can fund my ride this is actually being tested in denmark with uh, with ikea saying could this be the new business model the user gives permission to share their intent of coming for shopping and the the shopping mall or the the brand actually essentially funds my my shopping trip yeah yeah and so there's there's lot of possibility with the data and a lot of goodness right it could it could create a whole mobile health solutions it could create you know of course there is no parking hassle if my car is going to park itself there's a whole bunch of mobility services using mobile data that is the promise of this whole autonomous vehicle business You know as you were speaking I was thinking we could take this even one step further so you know you have Target and you have their competitors they're all going to be vying for the privilege of driving you to their stores Yes definitely I mean they right now if you look at it from if you look at it from business perspective right the business spends a lot of money in acquiring customers in keeping them engaged and then they also want that whole trust and loyalty with the brand and they spend money in all these three buckets separately so if if they 
understand the intent and if they can fund my ride it basically no. you know they're just transferring their acquisition cost into you know my cost of my ride or if if they work in such a way that they build my trust then it goes back to hey come back to to target and don't go to this other store all the time and so there's a lot of possibilities there for sure um here is something you know i'm not sure where we're going to go with this it may be a bit controversial controversial but yeah yeah so i i saw a post this morning about saudi arabia lifting their ban on women drivers right so i'm just thinking how autonomous vehicles can solve this problem with so many countries around the world that have women's rights and humans rights uh issues or uh, maybe less developed in those areas that's fascinating i knew you were going to talk about the latest greatest news and i was saying here i'm waking up in california he's three years i mean three hours ahead and he's going to be caught up on news <laughs> i didn't know i mean i did hear about the the saudi news all over the news yesterday or it was it came about a day before i think so what was fascinating in all the news is it felt like a script. Every media I listened to NPR and then I heard BBC when I was driving back at night, everybody was saying the same script about how women can drive. And very casually in that they put this saying, the, the legal guardian of the women do not have to give permission to get a driver's license. For me, I was, you know, I, that stopped me in my track. So yes, they've been fighting to get permission to drive and there's been discussions on should this driving be just for work and not for shopping or, you know, not for pleasure. So the women don't become too independent. I think that's sick. I mean, sitting from where I am sitting, I just find that so sad, but this is progress. So we should cheer for this news. But going back to your point, by giving an autonomous vehicle, in fact, there's a lot of uh, progress in Dubai and a whole bunch of other places in, uh, in the Middle East where they are going and building out super smart cities and not just the, you know, not just the car, the whole IoT space, yes. right? They're doing that. And uh, I, don't, I, I think to some extent, IoT is a tool like every other technology. We can use it to do good for society. But the social change has to come from the society. So by giving driverless car, to, say to Saudi Arabia, if we say, hey, the problem of uh, women not being allowed to drive is solved, I don't think so. If women have to have a legal guardian, adult women have to have a legal guardian, that is the fundamental problem. Yeah. And it is not about the driverless car. That's, that's what I would say. Yeah. But the driverless car could help uh, economies where, you know, where it's a developing country, they don't have the right infrastructure. Say, if you go to some place in, uh, say, Rwanda, where it's war torn and they don't have right roads and they want to transport, uh, uh, they want to transport, you know, say, blood for the hospital. So instead of humans driving around, I, I, they have drones that are testing out and, and, and shipping these things. So the autonomous vehicles and any kind of autonomous drones and all of them, right? So they could solve that problem or they could help those economies jumpstart and catch up. So they have like food shortages in certain places. They have food, certain places they don't have food in, in, um, in Africa. So they could actually, you know, have these vehicles drive faster on a fixed road, not dependent on a lot of other factors, 
and and solve that problem to some extent right yeah yeah for sure especially if it's a predictable like you said a fixed road a predictable route and you go from point a to point b so in autonomous vehicles technology wise there's a definition of five levels the fifth level is what everybody is aspiring for eventually is that the car can drive itself in all kinds of road conditions better than us accident free that's the holy grail but the level two is where it's a fixed route like it could be a school it could be you know a, a golf course it could be you know the air, the strip to the airport whole bunch of fixed routes the car can be trained they know what the object the disruptions on the way are and it can be trained for a long long time so we have a bunch of companies doing that around the globe there's a bunch of companies there's one called aro in um, uh, santa clara university right here and they go they have a shuttle that just keeps going round and round so those things are possible and they could take that to a developing country where there is a, a need to to deliver certain things or you know specific needs for them and it could it could happen soon soon yeah for sure and you know i like what you said about having a switch that that uh, some cars may have that i think tesla you said right where where you have that switch where you can turn it on and off. I think that's something that would help put a lot of people at ease. Just the thought of giving up control, like letting the car drive itself seems like a very scary thing, but having that ability to say, okay, we're going to turn it on now. And if it gives us trouble, we turn it off. So I think we are going to go through a whole transition. For me, my view of when I wrote, when I wrote the 2030 driverless world, my whole uh, point of view is this transition to this driverless world is going to happen over a period of time. It is not overnight. So maybe it's like 10, 15 years, we are going to coexist with human driven cars. So there's the whole issue of what is going to be the ownership model is one of the big business drivers. So is everybody going to switch and go to self-driving cars and that's what is going to happen or or everybody is going to switch to some kind of uh, uber lift model that there's not going to be any more uh, consumer purchase of autos yeah. that's an unknown so it's you know is, is it going to be a complete fleet model for the for the automakers or is it going to be something else that's where individuals when they hear this they would say hey i can't i can't just let go of my car i keep my beach gear one of my students said this you know he did a review of my first draft of my book uh, the kindle version in march and he said he gave me a big laundry list of various scenarios where he is using his car and he just cannot let go and so that's going to happen. There is going to be segments of users who will not want to let go of the car and they are going to own the car. They're going to keep driving. And also in US, I think every 11 years on an average is when we, you know, change to a new car right. on an average, you know, so it's not going to go away. There's going to be a transition period. So I think over the next 15 years, I would say there are people who are going to hold on to their cars. They're going to keep driving. And then it depends on what the ownership model. So what is the business model? Is it lucrative enough? I mean, about 20 years back, if you had said, I'm just going to be, you know, connected to my device all the time, it's going to track me and I'm going to be okay with it. And I'm going to do everything from this device. It would have been an awesome dream. And for somebody else, it might not have been an awesome. Yeah. They would have said, why would I, I would never use such a device. I would never let it track me. Right. So 
I think there's going to be segments of customers, use cases that's going to evolve. But during this transition, what will be the business model that that killer app? Uh, why would you want somebody, you know, why would you make me switch to a autonomous vehicle? That killer app is what is going to drive that segment of users to switch. But I think they will switch. Eventually, my belief is we are going to go to this fully autonomous world, but it's not going to happen in five years. It's not going to happen in 10 years. It is going to happen over 10 years, but 100% switch is not going to happen. Not even by 2030, by my estimate. Yeah, and that's typically how progress happens, right? We have to embrace it. It's going to happen. And there are always those that want to hold on to the way things used to be. I think of people that held on to the rotary phone until they just didn't have the service anymore. Yeah. And eventually people came around. And I, I agree with you. I think people will eventually come around because they'll realize the benefits of that. Like, why am I wasting my time driving when I could be so much more productive. I could be relaxing. I could be reading the newspaper. Think um, about it. When yeah. we go on long drives, right? Uh, when we go on our long weekends on vacations, right? It's going to be back-to-back -back traffic. We expect it to be that way. And then we have some music. We have a little video for kids. And we just keep driving for eight hours, 10 hours. And we get exhausted. So usually we are trained to start our vacations within the country, right? Unless I'm taking a flight and I'm going to Hawaii. Within the country, I have to drive for my vacation. And it is, I'm going to be exhausted when I start my vacation. And I'm going to be exhausted when I come back from my vacation. I mean, we just, we are, it's like IoT. There are so many things we just live with, which we should not be. You know, there's so many problems we should not be living with if we just had a simple device that is tracking and, and solving problems. Similarly, we will get used to that world. But right now we are going to hold on to that. There's a lot of us who are going to hold on to it for various reasons. But I am sure there are going to be different killer apps that would, where that would help make that switch. Now, what would you say to automakers that want to hold on to the human driving car and not adopt this technology? So I think automakers are a very key segment of players, a group of players. So automakers are, we are buying our cars from the automakers today. And then the Googles of the world are saying, hey, we are going to give you this technology by which the, the car is going to become driverless. And the Google and now Apple has come into the game and, and Samsung has come into the game. They are not making new cars. They are actually creating that layer of technology that would create that mobility solutions that will create, you know, a driverless world. So automakers are still our single point of contact. Right now, the way things are evolving, based on how the ownership models would switch, automakers are watching carefully saying, hey, if everybody switches to this lift model with ride share, then what happens? Are there not going to be any consumer cars? It's not just the automakers, even insurance companies. So, I have three lawyers in my class and we had this fun discussion just two days back. They said, what happens to auto industry? Does that mean the whole consumer auto insurance business is going to go away? So I would say it is an opportunity and a lot of automakers are doing that. 
So they are actually looking at this saying, some of them are saying, hey, it's all going to become driverless and it's all going to become a ride share model. And let me buy a piece of technology and, and create those kind of cars myself. And some of them are saying, hey, I don't believe this. We are going to lose this relationship with these consumers, which you've had for 100 years and it is ours to own. So why don't we deal with this differently? And so what they are, uh, there is a, a partnership between Toyota and uh, MIT where they are creating a blockchain ecosystem. So basically you will pay using blockchain and there will be this ecosystem of companies, the, be, the auto maker being one of them. And it's, it's a whole connected ecosystem of players who will offer services for you. So you get the car from one person, you pay using blockchain, you pay for different services. So you don't think of it as I need to buy a car, keep it in my garage, keep the space to park the car and then keep running around. Instead, you just say, I need to go to the vet. I need to go on my vacation. I need to go drop off my kid and I'm now going to work. There are, it's just think about your mobile needs and then you would get a service from this group of people. That's, that's one route they're going to. That makes so much sense. That's like the iPhone model where you have this whole ecosystem of apps that support your iPhone and your daily productivity needs. That's exactly the parallel that uh, people are looking at, right? In, when they think of the strategy for the connected vehicle world, right? When it becomes autonomous, but the, the challenge is who's going to own that. When you say iPhone, Apple, front ends everything you pay stuff to apple and apple takes a cut of all the apps and also apple owns the whole stack so they give you a certain quality and you know consistent reliability and then there is the whole android stack and then you can either get it from from um, google itself or a whole bunch of players or samsung and again that who owns the customer and then who are all going to offer the services uh, who are who's going to take a cut of the services right that that who owns the platform is going to happen. It's exactly the same model. That is so fascinating. And I can't wait to see how that plays itself out. And I didn't answer your question about the whole data risk part of data. Do you want me to tell you a little bit? Yes, please. <laughs> I don't have a perfect answer. I wish I do. Um, with IoT, with the cars, what happens is it's our data, right? We are being tracked with especially with iot when we sleep when we walk when we eat or if it is you know in an industrial setting it's volumes of data and with the car it's it's our mobility data we are the we are the creators of the data but the platform that is giving the data is harnessing the data hosting the data and and you know trying to make sense of the data is going to be the one that will draw power from it so there's a lot of regulation on who owns the data do they need to get their uh, get our permission and that's evolving and it, there is no one global standard on, on on data usage even today even for mobile right across uh, europe it's more stringent than in us so the same thing is going to happen with the self-driving car and the, any kind of autonomous vehicle as to whose data it is who has access what kind of permissions do they have how do you respect the privacy of the user if you know so much about me and it's not just the the car itself right i mean if if they can connect iot's to it and if i wearing my wearable and you can know certain things about my behavior from from there say my moods or i just you know had less sleep and i'm cranky 
and my you know i'm not able to do my jog that morning and my wearable would know a lot more about me right i mean if it's tracking my biometrics it knows even more and then if you look at the car it knows where i'm going if you start at, and and especially cities are becoming smart so this data in the city so if you start putting all of it together overall there is no there is no place for us to hide all our information is is with some business here so regulation is evolving but i think we also need to be smart consumers as we adopt this technology we bring a new piece of iot into our home or for our dogs or for our kids it's just it's good for us to be prudent and i think businesses are doing that for in the realm of self driving car the first thing is they need to take care of the security so that you know you just can get logged up or you know if there is a cyber attack and you know a car goes on a spin or something right so that i think is minimum table stakes the automakers i'm and i'm saying broadly automakers in the sense whoever is going to provide this self driving car for us in the future and not so far away right by 2030 2020 we are going to start getting these cars whoever is going to provide those cars are going to take care of that otherwise we are not going to buy them right it's it's as simple as that and uh, other than that it's going to evolve over time the whole regulation on privacy ownership and what's the boundary and i i i suspect by what we did with the mobile phone and we allowed access to our data to a whole bunch of companies i suspect we are going to kind of be smarter about it because this is round 2 now we know what they can do with our data so i think we as consumers are going to be more demanding and so it's going to be better than the the mobile world yeah especially because we've already been around the block we've seen what happens we've seen we've gone through breaches like uh the recent equifax data breach yeah. and there's new legislation being passed which is the gdpr which is very stringent so we're a lot smarter than we used to be which is kind of nice that uh, autonomous vehicles are happening now instead of 10 years ago. That that's right. So otherwise we might have the car before and then we would have gotten smarter with the phone maybe it would have it would have, it would have flipped. It's hard to imagine such a world but it could have happened that way. Yeah, exactly. So Sudha, this is so fascinating what you're doing. How did you get started in this whole industry? So I come from being in tech for uh, 20 plus years. and i've been in uh, in the product world in the analytics world my most recent uh, you know corporate job was at ebay where i used to head mobile analytics and manage uh, growth of 27 billion dollars and i had this uh, i was introduced to uh, wearable by steve mann in in um, mit about uh, uh, 20 almost uh, i want to say 15 15 or 17 years back when I, when he used to wear the the wearable uh, and show that you know it could be connected and and it would look very fancy it didn't stick i was not smart enough to see the potential and jump at it uh, early on you would have made millions <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean i obviously my life would be different but uh, and i think i've been fascinated by you know wearables in the you know the fitbits of the world when it came about uh, and uh, you know as more and more iot started coming up i'm an early adopter in tech so you know when they had new kits and boards you can build iot and it can you know when alexa first came i was very fascinated by it i remember i went and talked to the amazon guys and you know it's a it's a group in here that was doing alexa 
and it was not the main uh, big Amazon up in Seattle. And so they were off on their own, very creative group, but it was not a big deal for them. It was not a big deal for uh, uh, for Amazon. And I could see see that and I was thinking, this is going to be big. I mean, I could not have predicted everything the way the Alexa has become this, you know, 10 product series or, you know, it's going to what it's doing but this whole voice interface was was fascinating so i had like a second life playing with these toys while i was doing a corporate job and uh, since i was in mobile we had uh, you know i think apple watch had not yet launched and we were planning for an ebay app on the apple watch and i felt you know we used to talk about uh, mobile first customer or always on customer and how do we cater to the customer from a shopping sense? In eBay, we had discussion with, you know, super smart people. And with wearable, I used to go back to that uncomfortable place saying, you know, we just can't add yet another eBay app and think we are catering to the same customers. It's a different customers. I mean, though it's the same me, me when, when you cater to me as a wearable wearing customer and solve my needs, it's something else compared to me with a phone and you're giving me the shopping experience. And so I couldn't wrap my you know, head around that. Uh, and I decided to you know, take a break. Uh, uh, we had a sabbatical after six years of service and I had this dream of writing a book. So I started researching IoT to write about it, thinking that I'm just going to write this book and you know, go back to my corporate life. Oh, you can, you can never do it. Once you get involved with, especially if you like playing with toys, forget it's, yeah. it. It's, it's like playing with toys and, you know, there's never an end to it. And then there are all these cool robots. So I track, like I, I track the cars. There's some amazing number of robots in Silicon Valley and somehow they come and test everything on us. People think we have all the cool toys, but we are the guinea pigs. Everything is being tested on us. I'm not joking. So there is one uh, robot uh, called Nightscope, which is a security robot. They tested it in uh, Stanford Mall about two and a half years back, I think. And uh, it, it almost ran over a child's leg because wow. it was not, the machine learning was not trained to look at a lower level at the height of a child. And they recovered out of it. The company said, we will fix it. And we care a lot about people and safety and they've lived up to it. So that's one of the most prevalent robots here in service. So it, it's a security robot in our malls on the periphery of, you know, Juniper and Google and all that. So I saw one of those in the mall recently and I saw this kid going and poke that robot. And I tend to, you know, take my camera, take a video, or I you do, do a periscope uh, whenever I see any cool thing. So I saw this kid poking around. And, I, and then I next I went, first I was trying to take a selfie. I was not even doing a live stream. I went to take a picture next to the robot like that. And being a security robot, it just says, anomaly, this is not normal behavior. It started screaming. It started screaming. <laughs> so it's so much fun when, you know, a robot screams at you. <laughs> that's something to live for. That's so hilarious. That's, so that's how I ended up, you know, geeking out by the side and then made it my real job. And then I realized coming from a very solid operational experience, being responsible for $27 billion, I can't just geek out and have fun and go away. So I'm like always looking at what is hype? What does this mean for businesses? Who's going to be impacted? And that's how I got into this whole IoT disruption world. I wrote my first Kindle book, IoT Disruption, as a landscape on IoT and, you know, what happens in, in various industries at a very a broader level. And then I started thinking about data. 
cognitive IoT, what does it mean for businesses? What are the innovation gaps? What are the possibilities for entrepreneurs and for business innovators? And so then my IoT disruption 2020 came. And then I started interviewing people around the globe because there's a lot that happens in Europe and there's lots in, you know, in everywhere in the world, right? Uh, there is smart agriculture. And then I spoke to three different people, right? Precision farming in Germany, or uh, IoT uh, farms in uh, Colombia, coffee farms in Colombia, vegetable farms in Slovenia. So I just got more and more and more obsessed. And I, I have my YouTube uh, channel where I interview people and I start co collecting uh, business cases. And I wrote that as a case study. And then that came my, my uh, other book, which is the Internet of uh, Things uh, Business Primer. And then that led me to the car. We've already spoken about the car, my, my 2030 driverless world book. And so uh, Stanford uh, asked me to teach at the continuing studies program, the IoT business, because we did not have any business course on IoT at that time. And then I had a whole bunch of case studies in, a, in one compact book. And I was very happy to talk to entrepreneurs. So that kind of got me onto this journey. And I see we are still in the very early stages of this. Every single day, I find yet another company, yet another startup, yet another possibility. And the beauty is anybody who pitches an idea to me always gives their worldview, right? They will say, we are at the center of this. And this is how you need to look at everything else. That fascinates me. That keeps me going, I think. Nice. So talking about entrepreneurs and working with entrepreneurs, you know how most small businesses will just fail right from the start. Where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong and what do you think they could be doing better? So the good thing about entrepreneurs is they get obsessed with, uh, with passion. They're driven by passion with whatever they're out to change the world. Right. So they go or they come with a piece of tech or they come with a way of new way of doing things and they get obsessed with it. Um, my students like in my class, like half of them are serial entrepreneurs, half of them are people out in companies who are doing something related to IoT in, in their business, you know, typically in the industrial setting. But they also conceive of uh, a business, a new business as part of my course, the IoT business course. And uh, I, I make them go through the whole thing saying, you know, the thing with entrepreneurship is first they have to fail and learn, fail and learn, and they have to iterate that at least the Silicon Valley way that I'm aware of. And so they shouldn't be afraid to fail. So they should not just get hung up on, this is so big, it's, uh, it's super secret, I'm not gonna go tell the world. They have to engage with their customers, learn what the customer really wants, is it what they think they want, and then adapt and, and, and grow, that is, that is one thing. And second thing is, uh, I, I'm particularly interested in people who are just not thinking of, I'm gonna make a piece of technology, and I'm going to go sell this to Google or Apple or somebody into the future. I'm going to make a lot of money. Uh, I think those people who are successful are driven by something deeper than that. They are driven by some passion. They like look at it and say, I have this piece of tech, but it's going to keep babies safe. I'm just making this up. <laughs> so, right. There's uh, something that, that it's a belief. It's, it's a, a belief. belief. And that's when they, they're not able to raise money. They, hit, they, they thought this would work in a certain way. The technology all breaks. They're able to get up and keep going. Keep going, right? Um, uh, I invite entrepreneurs. I invite, you know, actual business practitioners as guest speakers to my class. And I had this uh, 
uh, this entrepreneur from France who actually said, why get, uh, his name is Hussein, and he basically said, why get a, a smartwatch? Why can't we make an existing watch smart? And so that is where he and his small team started out from. And so they take the strap of the watch and they add this tiny little circuit and make it into a smart thing that connects to the watch. And then the watch becomes a smart watch. But it looks like a Apple watch in functionality. It is so much cheaper, but he had to go through seven iteration of physically making the, the strap into a functional, bendable, wearable model that works. And then he's actually working with a whole bunch of Swiss uh, watchmakers. And then he has all these dreams of now this could be my switch to turn on my car. It could do a whole bunch of other mobility services. It's a whole different world. But if he said, I'm going to change the world of mobility and I'm going to make a million dollars or many million dollars, he's going, he's worth a lot more million dollars today than, you know, what it looks like, right? From where his team is sitting. Yeah. But his motivation is, the challenge, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this watch work. And I think people who, everybody cannot afford a full smart watch. I'm going to target that segment of people and give them something to, to make them do all these cool things that the smart watch does. And then he ended up adding, you know, more cooler things in there. But it driven, being driven by passion. Being driven by passion and as a purpose when you get started. And also to, you know, to not be too super secretive to truly iterate, learn and be, it's okay to make mistakes. Just get up, adapt, change. I think those are two critical advice I would give for entrepreneurs. That is great advice. And you know, if you think about it, passion is a positive emotion and it's something that is limitless. If it's something that you really want, like you mentioned, you're obsessed about something an obsession feeds on itself. If you're doing something because you want money, well, that alone conveys a, an attitude of lack because I want something. I don't have it. So you're always thinking about, I, I want the money. Well, what happens if the money doesn't come? When do you run out of energy? It's not something that will keep you driving. So that, that's my belief, and it jives very well with what you said. And it's, it's actually, you put it very beautifully. I mean, I'm very driven by passion and uh, I, I get obsessed. And the thing is, I mean, there's something called being in your flow. So when I'm trying to learn, I always go to this place where at the end of each day, I actually end up with what I don't know. My goal is to find one thing that I don't know that I need to learn about. That's kind of my habit like these days, right? So I learn, I keep talking to, so I try to, that drives me to go find smart people, people smarter than me. And I would, I, in IOT space, in this autonomous vehicle space, I just, you know, hang out with more interesting people who have, you know, bigger, better vision than me or bigger, better tech than me, or they're trying to solve different problems. Or I, 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 I so I mentor in a lot of different places, like in Singularity University and all that. And I end up finding these entrepreneurs. We think, you know, we were talking about the developing world. I met this girl from Kenya who said we have drought in there and so and, and there's there is uh, water molecules you know humidity in the air so i want to harvest water because we need drinking water it's just unbelievable i mean wow. right i mean so i find that when you see when you're uh, and then she approached me because i'm this iot person and so they're thinking about it from a, you know how to go build this and 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 she wants help on how to create business models that would scale 
not just a piece of technology that can be engineered, right? And so it's just, I think it's, if you're driven by passion, things come to you and you can, you can make yourself more useful in this world and do interesting things. For sure. So Sutha, this is such a fascinating topic and we've received so many questions from our listeners about that as well. So I just wanted to read you a couple of questions. Okay. So our first one is from Deidre Diamond, who's the founder and CEO of CyberSN and BrainBabe.org in Boston, Massachusetts. So Deidre says, I would like to know what you think about how to change our work cultures so that these girls who are becoming coders actually enjoy their work. Statistics are showing women are actually leaving tech. That is, that is true. I mean, I help uh, girls get into STEM careers early on. So I find that there are two things. One is there is something in our society, and this is a global phenomena. I mean, I came originally from India, so I thought this was in India. And then for a long time, I thought it was not there in US. And then slowly you start facing it. There are unconscious bias in our workplace, in our, in our culture. So we start telling girls to behave differently. We start telling girls that they need to, you know, take less risk or they need to behave, right? I mean, we start doing that early on from when they are like 10 years old or something. So I think we can go back to that in, uh, around us, to our daughters and cousins and niece and, you know, that's one. And then there's a lot of unconscious bias within the workplace, I think what is driving women out is the lack of support structure, expecting them to behave a certain way. Um, I, I read a lot of material here about, you know, how risk, women are not taking so much risk and women don't, you know, don't come and ask for new assignments unless they are, you know, 100% confident that they can do the job. And then there is biases where people would say, they, when they interview women, they expect them to have already done that job. I actually face that too. People, they, they would ask whether you've already done it instead of believing that you can do it because you have the potential from what you have done other things in, in, your, in your career. Um, so I think it's, if especially, you know, Dimitri wants to change this, he can look around him himself in the workplace and see whether he himself has any unconscious bias or whether there's bias in the workplace that it has to come from the individual, I would think. And I think it has to come from men uh, who, uh, who care about this. It is a real problem. It takes, it's going to take a while. Great. Okay, so our next question is from Jamie Kataya, who's the founder and CEO of Jamie Scott and Associates in Los Angeles, California. So Jamie says, what do you see the role of the telecom service provider in 2030? That's a totally different switch altogether. And 2030, oh my God. Um, so 2030 is, you know, where I see this driverless world where, you know, we are going to have some uh, human drivers. And I also see a world not just about autonomous vehicles, but uh, we cannot have the smart cars driving in the road with potholes. It's going to, so the, the city is going to be smarter. City infrastructure, the, the traffic lights are going to be smarter. The roads are going to be smarter. So the telecom, uh, the carrier's role is super important because we are going to have a lot of connectivity issues, right? We need connectivity. If our road is connected and it's communicating, our car is, the car is all sending things to the cloud and as it's driving and communicating with each other, the, the role of the, the carrier becomes very critical to provide connectivity, not just 
more and more bandwidth which we will have like you know i'm sure we are you know if you're getting to 5g and you know we might be at 10g or 20g at that time yeah. uh, uh, they will do that right we are going to have very high bandwidth but it also has to be a available for everybody if if the city is going to have it it's not just going to be the people who can afford this car and drive around and and the traffic signal talks to them it has to talk to everybody so connectivity has to become uh, ubiquitous and available in terms of you know in terms of uh, economics easily accessible to everybody i think that's going to be a leadership role for the telecom industry yeah, for sure. It's going to evolve just like everything else is going to evolve. Yep. Nice. Our next question is from Vadim Maklis. He's the president of Mon- Monadnock Ford in Keene, New Hampshire, and Performance Dealer Products, New England. So Vadim says, are local and foreign governments prepared for the massive investment in the upgraded infrastructure, such as smart signs, smart traffic lights, that may be necessary in order to ensure the safety of passengers and pedestrians in a fully driverless environment? Or do you feel that such an investment may not even be necessary at all? So I think Vadim partially answered the question himself. Um, Few years back when I was looking at IoT, Smart City used to be one of those blobs saying, hey, IoT in the home, IoT in the car, IoT on our bodies, and, you know, IoT in the industry, and IoT at city. I used to be skeptical about the IoT in the city because there's a lot of possibilities, but many cities were kind of running around saying, it's not clear who's going to pay for this. And now with the funding for driverless cars, the need that city infrastructure has to improve has become very uh, obvious so there is a lot of money flowing in for the cities and I mean I say cities it's very different across the globe San Jose is trying some innovation things here where I sit and Dubai is kind of in the cutting edge trying to create this super smart smart city out there so funding is coming from different sources based on where you are depending on the on the country but funding is coming and where I see the funding eventually will come should be a private uh, public combination. It's not going to be suddenly all the governments are going to have the money and then they're going to make put this in the smart city infrastructure. It's not going to happen because there are a lot of basic needs that cities have to take care of. But there are a lot of entrepreneur opportunities for many startups, for local businesses to go make these things happen. And the private business uh, and government partnership is going to be the one that's the solution for that, for bringing that money. Great. Our next question is from Dr. Louise Shaper. She's the CEO of HISA, Australia's Digital Health Society in Melbourne, Australia. Louise says, unemployment is predicted by those who claim that a massive wave of automation will take up to a third, perhaps more, of jobs in Western economies away. This unemployment will no longer be confined to, fa- to factory floors, but will include consuming service jobs from your Uber driver, your radiologist, your lawyer, AI and algorithms will replace humans and lead to a new era of widespread unemployment. My question is, is it likely these impending changes will impact women differently to men in terms of both economic growth and economic empowerment of women? Fascinating question. Louise, you said? Yes. Thank you, Louise, for this amazing question. Um, we could talk about, you know, whether the jobs would go away and whether there would be unemployment from automation. The initial wave is a whole bunch of a certain kind of jobs will go, 
will be automated and there will be you know i'm a believer that a new set of jobs are coming and evolving that would be the new job so i don't think in the net in the end of the you know if you look back at 2030 i don't believe there's going to be more mass un unemployment there's going to be a period of mass unemployment and then there's going to be new jobs that's going to be picked up by people so now that brings me to her actual question are women going to be impacted more so the people who are going to win in this who are going to get this new jobs are the ones who are ready to learn these new technologies new way of thinking new way of operating in this new coming up coming world and so if people don't have that learning mindset or they are not investing the time and to go learn and figure out what this is they are the ones who are going to be left behind and going by what i see typically you know women are you know socially they have more responsibilities at home so there are less women who come out and take all these extra classes in the evenings compared to to men so women will be at a disadvantage and i hope you know we can change that because I, and i've seen that with you know the social news wave for social technologies with mobile technologies but women tend to catch up my observation is like with mobile started uh there was a whole bunch of guys who came in and would build the startups and and do things compared to women and then you know even in work the jobs are given to those who already know stuff and then you know guys can say i've i've played with this technology i've built this startup and they already know the stuff and they really know it because they've done it right and they learn and they iterate and i think women need to come forward to do more on on in especially in this new wave of automation and ai and i'm seeing a lot of women who are getting into machine learning a lot of women uh who are doing machine learning it's just when you see up front they are not coming up with that confidence to say i know this and i'm just going to do it they want to get it done they want to have confidence they know it 100% it's just you know it's just a habit of many years and many women do that so short answer yes it's going to impact more women more because they are not coming forward to learn or or do that but i'm seeing especially in machine learning that women are coming so hopefully we will catch up eventually very nice our next question is from liz zalman she's the ceo of strong dm in new york city liz says someone mentioned to me a few months ago that the way autonomous cars would end up becoming the way to drive was via the insurance companies that once those cars become safer than human drivers which is not too far off the companies would say oh how cute little human you want to drive <laughs> that will cost you $900,000 a year in your policy what are your thoughts on that liz right unbelievable imagination you're just amazing <laughs> so insurance is going to be insurance is one of the industries impacted because it's all driven by data to reduce risk and so yes the possibility i don't know whether it's going to cost 900k but the whole promise of the autonomous vehicle is to get the human driver out of the driving seat so there will be less accidents or no accidents and so insurance business is about reducing risk and if they find that the human driver is risky and the autonomous vehicle is not risky they would going they are going to opt towards that model of saying hey cute human driver you know it's going to cost you more i don't think it's going to cost in that many folds but it's going to cost more at some point out into the future it's going to cost more for a human driver to drive the car than and i'm so glad that she's able to predict this way ahead of the curve we'll have to give her credit for this 
More power to the women. Our next question is from Ken Heron, Chief Marketing Officer of Unified Inbox in Orlando, Florida. So yeah, Ken says, Ken. he says, hi, Suda. We, hi, Ken. We know a lot of different pieces have come together to make autonomous vehicles happen. From your perspective, what's still missing? Do you think the final piece triggering mass adoption will be technical, regulatory, or something else? Wow. I should have seen that coming. He's going to ask me the tough question that I can't answer. <laughs> um, so one thing I would say is, you know, when I wrote this 2030 driverless world, I actually wrote it as a time traveler narrative. So like I'm coming from 2030. So even in the book picture, it's like me coming out of the two and zeros and out there. Uh, but I was very careful saying, you know, I don't want to be too presumptuous saying, you know, this is how it's going to happen. So. The short answer is, if I say there is this one missing piece, that's not the final answer because things are going to evolve and my students are going to make awesome stuff and change the landscape, okay? But I'll give you my point of view where I stand today here in 2017, right? So technical regulation or something else. So regulation and technology is, is where the, uh, the innovation is happening today to improve self-driving car to the state where it can drive itself completely autonomously. And regulation is catching up. And uh, what is missing, at least where we stand today, is you know owner, clear ownership models and what would be the business model. So I believe the third factor that would actually impact this, influences the biggest one, uh, is innovation in business. New business model innovations on who's going to pay for this? How could we actually, you know, change mobility services? It's going to be new mobility services. Anybody can come up with a service, but with as a as a business. So new business model innovation is going to be the the killer missing piece, I would say. And I'm friends with Ken, so he's going to hold me accountable. We are going to talk about this in 2030, Ken. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Very good. Two more questions. No problem. I love it. I'm just loving this audience question. Your amazing global audience and super smart audience. Love it. They, they are truly amazing. And I'm so grateful that they're part of our community. Our next question is from Mark Richards. He's a reverse mortgage planner at Fairway Independent Mortgage in Ridgewood, New Jersey. Mark says, who do you look up to in the IoT world? Also, were you supported by your family and friends when getting into the tech world? So I came from an engineering background so long ago and my family, I was the first engineer in my family. So it was hard convincing them that they should let me do this unknown thing, but they did support me. And, you know, uh, along the way, I have one of those people driven by passion. So I kind of meandered around my career uh, many, many times and they've, they've been supportive. Every time they try to stop me and say, do you know what you're doing? And I would say, I'm not so sure, but I'm going to do it anyway. There you go. <laughs> and then they stick with me. So it's worked out all right. So I do have that support structure that I need. Uh, what was the other question? The other question was, who do you look up to in the IoT? Ah, okay. Um, I actually have to give a credit to a lot of people. Actually, in my in my book acknowledgement, I have a big laundry list, but I have a lot of people I look up to who I admire in this IoT space. Um, 
Rob Cranberg, who runs the EU IoT Council, has been a pioneer. He could think about this, you know, even before the word IoT was coined, I believe, like, you know, he has thought about, oh, technology is going to do this kind of disruption. He, he could conceive how it's going to be everywhere and all our data is going to be owned by some corporations and, and it's going to become a different world. And how do we create, how do we keep our social fabric and how do we create this whole innovation and, and all that. He was able to think about that. And he runs this EU IoT Council and um, I'm part of that. I'm lucky to be part of that. So he's somebody I just look up to. Um, there's a whole bunch of people. If you say IoT is, again, a very broader, it's too many things, right? I mean, there's no one thing. So if you say industrial IoT, I would say uh, Jane Ren, he's, he's, she's the CEO of Atomiton. It's a, it's a well-developed startup which does, you know, build smart city solutions, oil and gas, whole bunch of uh, industrial IoT solutions. She's amazing. She's somebody I admire in that whole industrial IoT space. So if you pick each like that, I can give you uh, other people who inspire me. There is this uh, person from uh, Nigeria called Oluwatobi. And he's, you know, this relatively young person new to IoT, but he's building sustainable solutions for Nigeria from where he's sitting. And so there's a lot of people like that. I hang around and they inspire me. Wow, really nice. Our next question is from Irma Rastagaiva. She's the co-founder of Evira in Boston, Massachusetts. Irma says, I'm interested in your predictions about IoT and AI applications in the health space over the next 12 to 24 months. Also, I'd like to hear your views on applications of autonomous vehicles in medicine. I've seen some futuristic renderings of mobile hospital, et cetera, what else can we expect in the next five years? So Irma is in the health, e-health space, I believe. Yes. So I have actually written about uh, AI in healthcare a lot. Um, I, I did a Tech Target article almost a year time back, I think, about AI in, in healthcare. So my biggest uh, fascination, and I would say prediction because that's not yet quite happened, but it's on its way, is why should we go to the, why should, why should we accept it? Like why, what we do, like how we deal with our you know, health today is we let ourselves fall sick. Then we go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. Then they diagnose it. And then we take medication or you know, whatever uh, prognosis they come up with, right? I think it's all flipped. So it's pain and suffering, which just can be stopped. I mean, so we are, it, we are going through this development with IoT where we are able to put sensors inside our body, in our pacemakers, in, in uh, tracker biometrics, have wearables all around us to actually get data about ourselves, right? And so you can actually check the state of health and then you can actually do prediction so uh, DeepMind from Google is working with, with NIH in, uh, in UK saying, hey, I can predict kidney diseases and eye diseases. You'll have to do deep machine learning with a lot of volume of data. So they have to pick one thing and, and go deeper. So they pick those two. And they're saying, hey, we can look at the entire population and tell you and stop you from having the disease before it happens and, and save lives. And then uh, IBM is, or Watson is doing the same thing, saying, hey, we can look at cancer cells and we can, we can aid the doctors in actually saying what kind of cancer somebody has or whether it is cancer and we'll help solve it. 
again looking at volume of data so i see the biggest uh, possibility in our future health is to have our biometrics tracked by iot i don't know whether it will it we have those chips that you can you know pills that you can consume that will track our biometrics it's not mainstream yet but or it could be a chip in your head i don't know i i don't want to make the prediction about the medium but we are going to be tracking our biometrics 7 by 24 along in all our habits in all our environment in every context and health is going to be predictive to stop diseases before it happens that's the the beautiful world i'm looking forward to the second part of our question the first time i'm hearing from somebody i just love that question irma thank you for that about the health uh, medical solution mobility solution so i've heard about you know autonomous um, um, ambulances like tu health delft d e l f t tu delft university and I'm, i'm sure i'm pronouncing that name wrong uh, the, the university from uh, uh, from uh, netherlands has actually created a, a, a ambulance drone and yes. so think about it i mean if there's an accident in the road why the vehicle ambulance has to drive on four wheels and then come in the middle of traffic and we all pull over and it gets there and it's kind of a slope same thing like you know we're learning we've learned to live with bad solutions yeah. so what if if it's a drone it just zips flies in comes there and it's not in this humongous drone it's not a big drone that's going to transport that person it's just going to have a defibrillator and it's going to give something to so another human around there to to get this person awake and do you know what is needed and so maybe there'll be a remote person using some video can talk somebody to give first aid and help this person before the real medical professional comes on to the scene so when you get the car to become completely autonomous a one of the the medical i don't see a full medical hospital like arma is saying she's way ahead of ahead of me i have to say but i do see the the car itself becoming smart there's a lot of algorithms to see whether the driver is awake what is the emotion of the driver should we transfer control to the driver and you know that thing is happening in machine learning world for the car so i would say that it's not too far fetched to think that the car can actually see whether you know you have some health condition say if somebody has the passenger has a heart attack the car can actually see that the person is not in their normal state call for medical help or drive them around to the nearest hospital you know so that that is a sure shot possibility but i would not call that a medical device you have these mobile uh, mobile uh, dentist uh, uh, trucks that come they used to come outside ebay uh i don't know i used to find that super creepy to go into this cluster i don't like going to the dentist already and then going into this claustrophobic mobile place <laughs> to get you know my dental cleaning done was not my favorite thing but you know what it was very useful so i do believe some kind of mobility services would evolve relative to you know dental hygiene or general health hygiene i i cannot envision a full fledged hospital that is totally mobile i'm not quite there <laughs> great sutha i know you're a busy gal and we're going to let you go in just a bit but just before we do how do people find you 
So I live on Twitter. So if people are active on Twitter, they should definitely follow me there. And I don't just follow people black. I don't count followers. I respond. I engage with people. So I love conversations. So if somebody wants, is, is a public person enough to be on Twitter and wants to ask me questions or engage with me, I'm happy to connect. Even if they say, hey, I heard you on the show, the ask to see your show and, you know, connect with me. I'm happy to connect. And then if they're a private person, they can send me a DM. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, I have my site is iotdisruptions.com. I have a newsletter. They can sign up and then, you know, that's another personal channel of communication. Um, otherwise, they can connect on LinkedIn and, uh, you know, send me messages. And I do check my LinkedIn messages very religiously. Great. And how do people buy your book? Where is it available? You want to see the book, what it looks yes, like? Yes. Let's see the cover. This is the one. Oh, beautiful. So I have... Yeah, I had a Kindle version from March that looked like this, but this is the, the latest print version. Uh, it's available on Amazon. And uh, I think right now I have it only on Amazon. I mean, it's on Amazon. And then from Amazon, they have a whole distribution channel where it goes to all kinds of bookstores and everything. So it's available in the Stanford bookstore. I know that. Um, and it propagates. It takes some time, but it propagates to other bookstores. So uh, I would say Amazon is my best channel right now fantastic and if people feel very strongly i'm kind of in a dilemma whether uh, i have a kindle version which is a previous version of this book i'm in dilemma whether i should you know upgrade my kindle version to the latest stanford edition because my stanford edition has this whole chapter on mobility services and business model evolution so i've had like nine different types of business models of how this mobility space could evolve with autonomous vehicles uh if people feel very strongly that i need to give them a pdf version or something else if they ping me i will make it available right now i'm kind of trying to manage my time i just finished writing my book i'm teaching my class so i'm not thinking of more versions but if they if people ping me i will get it to them there you go. And this is a great call to action for our audience. So what do you think? Do you think Sudha should update her book? Please leave us a comment and let us know. Um, and I will also place all your contact information um, in the show notes, as well as the link to where people can purchase your book so they can just go in, look it up and click on it and get right to you. Thank you. I had so much fun and I loved your audience questions. So thank you so much for having me. Yes, Suna, it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. And I really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much, Abraham. Bye. Bye-bye.